Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Manoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Hey everyone, my name is Susanna. I am so excited to be here today on the Anchored and Reaching podcast. We are continuing our Masterful Living series, and last week we talked about holiness and character formation and engagement. And today we're going to continue the conversation, and I'm here with Dr. Kevin. Hey everybody. And we're excited to jump into everything. Before we get going... We want to encourage you to check out the show notes, and the reason is because Kevin actually has his book listed there as well as a video series. So this whole conversation about masterful living is not meant to just be a podcast. It's also other resources that can equip you, a book, a video series, as I said, and we really want you to be able to have all the resources you need to engage in this conversation because we want you to walk in holiness, to flourish as a Christian. And so, Kevin, do you have anything to say about the book? Uh, no, I just would say that if people want to dive deeper, because there, obviously we, there's a limit to what we can do in a 20, 25-minute podcast, so that gives them a place to go to kind of think and reflect, and then the video series goes deeper as well. So hopefully uh, that will serve as a resource for people who want to who dig deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And today we're talking about two topics that are really important to me and have been big in my personal journey. And those are the areas of relationships and decision-making. And decision-making has always been a challenge for me. I know we're going to dive into um, the theological basis for these things when it comes to holiness and formation, but then also talk about how we can live this out in our own lives. So if you're somebody who struggles with decision-making, who doesn't know what God wants you to do when you're choosing between different things, or somebody who has room to grow in the area of relationships, which we all do, then this is a good conversation for you to dive into. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about these two descriptors. And again, let me just rehearse that these are descriptors. They're not prescriptions. They're not something that you, you know, kind of take a pill and you become holy. Uh, They're not a checklist. (laughs) Um, This is what begins to happen when you are pursuing the holy life, which is a life of surrender to the influence of God's holiness being reflected in you. Holiness does not belong to us. It belongs to God. We participate in holiness. We don't achieve holiness. Mm-hmm. We don't earn holiness. We participate in holiness because that is a descriptor of who God is. And we participate by full surrender to the influence of God. When you hang out with God, you become like God. You will be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. When you hang out with your spouse, you become like your spouse. When you hang out with your best friend, you become like your best friend. So remember, these are descriptors that begin to show up in your life as you live a life of surrender 
and permeability or openness to the influence of God's nature being reflected in you. And one of the things that begins to happen is we begin to find that relationships uh, begin to become uh, healthier. I mean, one of the greatest difficulties in the life of the church are strained, broken, awkward relationships. Most of the stuff that I dealt with as a, as a church overseer of thousands of churches and, and working with many, many churches around the world, it usually boils down to broken relationships, strained relationships, so-and-so thinks this, so-and-so wants to do this, they want to paint the room this color and I don't like that color, or you know, the preacher's going on too long, or I don't like the way that this or that, and it always boils down to these relational dynamics that are unhealthy and dysfunctional. Often they are code, there are codependent relationships even within the life of the church. So now I realize that Christian faith is inherently relational by nature because God's work with us is inherently relational. It is not propositional. It is not doctrinal. It is relational. So I realize that we're going to struggle with those, but that's the nature of the church is to help people move past some unhealthy relationships and become healthy in our relational dynamics one with another as we pursue the reflection of God's holiness in us. And those relationships are largely built on the kingdom principle of mutuality. When you read through Scripture, you see mutuality shot throughout it. I mean, uh, in Paul in Ephesians, be mutually submitted to one another as unto the Lord. And that also, by the way, applies to marriages. Um, it is not, you know, one is more dominant than the other and so forth and so on. There is mutual submission in these relationships. Mutuality is a, is a part of the descriptive nature of God's holiness, and we see that actually exemplified uh, in the Trinity. I mean, the Father submits to the Son, and the Son submits to the Father, and the, and the Spirit submits to the Son, and the Son submits to the Spirit, and we see this, this mutuality of mutual submission even in the Trinity as we read through scriptures. And that's the basis of a healthy relational dynamic. Mutuality breeds health. And, and mutuality is basically the interdependence that describes the kingdom. It's not this independence that our 20, 21st century, especially North American, but global culture says you got to be independent, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, do it on your own two feet, don't, don't rely on anybody else. No, that's not kingdom. It's interdependence. We need one another. That's how God made us as social beings, to be mutually submitted. Now, mutuality requires submission and humility. It says, I don't know everything. I can't do everything. I need you to help me become all that God has intended for me to become. And you need me to help you become all that God has intended for you to become. That's the vision of God, is we are mutually interdependent. And we are submitted to one another in a posture of humility with one another. There's a great emphasis these days on, on intellectual and spiritual humility as a, as a means to undermine and mitigate the divisiveness that comes when we think we know best and we, we're all that and, and, and we're, we're arrogant and we self-centered and all of that. And, and humility 
and submission are the designs of God, and they they breed that interdependence and healthy relationships. It's permeability. It's it's making myself permeable to the influence of another. So healthy relationships come when we embrace the nature of God who exemplifies, even within the Godhead, who exemplifies mutuality, submission, humility, and interdependence. And suddenly we begin to see that relationships begin to form that are healthier and healthier. And then, of course, that moves us into the idea of making choices, making decisions. And decisions are based on the kind of the theological premise of free will. Every person is given a will, and every person is given the ability to choose. We have free choice. It's not predetermined for us, and so when we make choices, there are consequences to those choices. God's not going to make choices for us. We don't sit back and say, gee, God, uh, I I want you to make this decision about which job to take. No, Um, God says, look, I've given you my heart, I've given you my mind, I've given you my wisdom, and I've given you the ability to choose. Now you make the decision. Now, the extent to which we make a wise choice is the degree to which we involve an all-wise God in making those choices. We can make a choice on our own, and we can make a choice without consulting our best friend, but we're going to reap the consequences of that. And likely, if we make the choice on our own without the influence of God's wisdom and and God's presence, we're going to make a selfish choice instead of a choice informed by the selfless wisdom of God. It's kind of like if, if, you know, in my minivan days, if I went down to the car dealership, decided I wanted to buy a new car, and, you know, we got a minivan, got three small children, and I go there and I take my best friend with me, and I'm looking around on the car lot, and I see this beautiful red Corvette. I mean, one of my favorite car, right? A beautiful Corvette, and it's a car that seats two people, it's got two doors, and I say, I'm going to buy that car. I'm going to trade in my minivan for that car. And my best friend is looking at me cross-eyed saying, Kevin, you can't do that. Well, why not? And he jabs me and says, you've got a family. You have, you have three children, and you're going to trade your minivan for a car that seats two. That's not wise. See, if I'm left to my own devices, if I'm left to my own selfishness, if I'm left to my own in making a decision in isolation, not interdependence, I'm going to make a choice that's going to serve my interests, my desire, my agenda, my future, and what I want, you see. But all of a sudden now, my best friend reminds me of the consequences of that decision and the context of my life and involvement with other people. And all of a sudden I say, yeah, you know, you're right. And I submit to the influence in submission I submit to the influence of my best friend, and suddenly wisdom is a part of my decision. And I say, you know, there will come a day when I might be able to have a two-seat red Corvette, but now is not the time. That's wisdom. And that's involving God in decisions that you make from day to day. God's not going to make the decision for you. And, and God's not going to tell you exactly what to do or where to go. God does not call to a location or to a decision. 
God calls us to a condition of our life that is interdependent and permeable and a trajectory of life that is toward God. And then he expects us to use our will, our minds, our reason, and our interdependence to make choices that are informed with the wisdom of God who is with us in us. So, so those decisions we make and we, we, we pay the consequences. We take responsibility for those. But God is available to assist and walk with us as a best friend to make good, wise decisions. So healthy relationships through mutuality, wise decisions through interdependence and involvement of God of a wise God with us, uh, those are things that are going to percolate up as you continue to walk on the journey of holiness, allowing God's holiness to become seen and reflected more and more in you. What do you think, Susanna? I think that we need to break this down because there was a lot said there. It's all really, really good. I think we should start with relationships and then move our way to decision-making because while okay. these things do play off of each other, they both have really rich um, just conversations we can have around them. So thank you for all of that. And let's start tackling relationships. I yeah, really sure. appreciate what you said about the need for humility in submitting to one another. And I think it's so interesting that so many people, I mean, I, I want to extend just empathy to people who have been hurt by the church and who oh have my, been yes. desired to separate themselves because that is a really, really traumatic and terrible thing to happen. And um, to a lesser degree than some, I have experienced some of that. And so I understand to a degree there's much worse cases. But at the same time, isolating ourselves from Christian community is so dangerous and so not the way that we're called to live. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was dealing with a, some, some relational rub and some minor hurt from Christians. And there was a time where I thought, ah, my friends who are not believers are not hurting me in the same way, partially because there wasn't the same level of vulnerability. There wasn't the same level of, you know, life pursuit or pursuing together. And so I was hurt and there was relational rub and it felt easier to separate myself. But I remember during that time learning that community was God's mechanism for making me look more like Jesus. And that's just it, simply put. As Christians, we're called to live in community so that God, the Holy Spirit, can make us more like Jesus day after day. And that rub, though frustrating, is not inconsequential in our spiritual growth. It is actually the way that we grow. And so that's one thing I want to point out immediately, that um, we are called to be in community partially because there is a rub there. Would you say that's true? I would say that's absolutely true. That's really, really a good point. Thank you. And I think a lot of people, you're right, do get hurt in the church and then they isolate. And the best antidote for that is get back in community. Yeah. I can't remember who it was that said this, but there's a discipline in staying put. Like there's a, mm -hmm. there's a 
almost a spiritual discipline and staying put in order to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. So if you are in a relationship that there's a rub or something that, you know, you're challenged with in even the church that you're at, and of course, outside of, you know, I hate they'll even have to give the disclaimers, but abuse and unhealth that you need to move on. But if you're in a situation where there's rub and you know that the Holy Spirit is using it in a degree to shape your character, stay put, like submit to that. And hopefully in that process, you can also influence the other person. You can influence each other to grow. Um, I think it was, I'm blanking all my names today, but... Um, Somebody. The the quote about how <laughs> about how churches and christian community are schools of love oh okay that's yeah. an interesting thought yeah it's one of my favorite thoughts i always go back to it that that they're schools of love and in order for us to have any kind of engagement with the world in order for us to be missional in any degree which we know we're called to as christians we're called to go into all the world and make disciples we have to practice in schools of love we can't just assume that we're ready to go out and love the world if we can't even love our brother and sister and scripture is full of this topic so I would encourage everyone listening to prioritize that because as we prioritize that, it naturally spills over into the way that we love others. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I love that concept. And, you know, just reflecting on living in a school of love where you learn what love is, it's, you know, it's much deeper. I mean, that's the purposeful living that we'll get to in one of our other descriptors. But, you know, where you learn what that love looks like and how it's played out and how it requires submission and and, and influence. Uh, really good observation. By the way, if I can just do a parenthetical insertion, because some of the folks may not know this, but I mean, I really appreciate these insights, Susanna. Susanna, um, Susanna is actually an instructor. She teaches in theology, right? So if I can just take... Yes. And yeah, so she's actually teaching a course on theology right now through Aldersgate School of Ministry. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, these are, you know, the fact that you're pulling some of these principles out is just in, indicative of not only the experiences that Susanna's have, but also the training and the insights that she then imparts. So your mention of a school of love, I mean, the, the, that kind of stuff is stuff that she's teaching at Aldersgate School of Ministry. And uh, I know a lot of students are benefiting the ones that have you in class. So really good insight. Thank you. Sorry for that little, discipline, that little, that little, no, I appreciate piece it. There. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at Aldersgate, we love to do exactly what we're doing here, bring people along a journey of education and even teach them how to write, teach them how to, to think well about theology. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the person whose name I can't remember is an early church father. I'm not just pulling some random podcast that I heard last week. Um, yeah. so I'm yeah. hoping to, integrate that in these conversations as well. Yeah, I wanted absolutely. to do, speaking of theology, Kevin, yeah, do yeah. we have time for you to give a quick overview of, and this is a big one, but you talked about the Trinity, you talked about mutual submission within the Trinity. I know that's not something that I hear all Christians agreeing on, and I think it might be helpful in case anybody got tripped up on that, why we're talking about mutual submission within the Trinity as compared to a type of hierarchy situation. Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good question, and um, you know, let me just touch on it. But we may need to do a complete podcast on this, and and I think yeah. that would be really great conversation for you and I to have. Um, a lot of people um, tend to approach 
understanding the orthodox view of God as the Trinity. The Nicene Creed established that pretty clearly in uh, about the 5th century AD, um, and that's where we get the Trinity from. Uh, we derive it from Scripture, but it was it was clarified through the through the councils of the church, and we understand that God is in three persons, not modalities, not manifestations, but three persons. Now, and that's a whole other conversation because different cultures understand that differently, and I wish I could get into that, especially given the history of the Black Church culture and the Hispanic Church culture and how they see that differently, even than the White uh, Evangelical culture. Um, but nevertheless, it's very easy for people to come at that concept, that theological premise of the Trinity. You don't find the Trinity in the Bible anywhere. You find, you find principles that lead us to that. But we approach it from a hermeneutic or from a, a set of lenses that presupposes that any triad is going to have a leader among them. In other words, we're going to put it in a hierarchical format. Mm -hmm. And so when we approach the Trinity, we approach it with the idea that there is a boss and there are two subordinates, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there, there is some degree to which we understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a functional relationship one with another that Scripture tends to lead us toward. But essentially, the principle that, that, that guides the three persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead, we call it, is mutuality, is mutual submission, is permeability, is interdependence. Um, and it's from that that we see that functional role that we assign to it, but humans tend to apply structure to what they see as roles. And, and so that's where a lot of times we, we tend to overemphasize the hierarchy and underemphasize the mutuality and, and um, to use a, a loaded phrase, the egalitarian nature of the Trinity. So, um, and, and, and that's a, that's a natural thing that happens among many churches, among many people. And, and it's, and it's, it's a natural consequence of how we tend to approach things, right? So I like to emphasize the mutuality within the Trinity, because I think that is the nature of the kingdom, best expressed and and first expressed uh, among the three persons of the Godhead. Thank you for that overview. Mm. It's definitely something we'll want to do a full topic on, a whole full yeah. podcast, I believe. But yeah, just to point out that though there was mm. submission from Jesus to the Father on earth, and though we see that in some functional ways, um, we're talking about eternally what's happening within the Trinity. And I think your points were really well stated that we tend to project our understanding of God onto God um, based on our limited worldview, our limited understanding. And uh, it's helpful for us to understand that there is this mutual respect and submission that's happening in the Trinity 
for eternity, not just what we saw on earth with Jesus, but like what's happening for eternity. If you're interested in studying more on this, look into the heresy of subordinationism, because sometimes we get into that mode with our thinking. Um, But regardless of what we're talking about with the Trinity, the main point is that we're supposed to be mutually submitted to one another. And we know from experience, as soon as human beings get into hierarchy situations with power trips, it does not lead to fruitful community. So walk forward in humility and walk forward in submission, knowing that you can learn from the people around you. Yeah, and in actuality, I think that the church is learning as well. We've had too many experiences of a strong hierarchical view of church leadership. Pastor is the authority. I, when mm-hmm. you get to be the pastor, you get to make the decision, and I'm in charge, and and this is my church, and all of that stuff. And that is increasingly giving way. I think we're maturing finally in the life of the church where we realize that collaborative leadership, mutuality in leadership uh, is really is really more... representative of the kingdom. I'm working with a church right now that is actually moving into a completely collaborative leadership model because the principle of mutuality is is very present in their thinking. And it it avoids some of the natural dominance, abuse of power, um, you know, corporate culture that's that's in the toilet, you know, kind of bad morale and all of that stuff. so I, I think we're I think we're growing and we're learning. And frankly, within that context of mutuality, then um, we express mutuality with God, and we become permeable to God as well as one another. And that's where these decisions can be made that are mm-hmm. much much wiser. Instead of a decision thinking that somehow, well, the pastor is the pastor, or the boss is the boss, or the president is the president, and they must know, so they make the decision, and boom, boom, boom. Well. Nobody is infinitely capable of making wise decisions in isolation. I mean, it's just not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just not how we've been made. Now, some people will say, well, you go up on the mountain and you hear from God and you come down and you announce it to the people. Well, um, that I think is a miscarriage of decision making. God told me this. Well, God, if God tells you something, God will confirm that through the witness of wise others around you. That's how the head and the body work together. You know, God does not, God does not make a decision and not confirm it with the confirmation of the body, those around us. So we got to be really careful about abusing power, abusing the name of God uh, f- to get what we want in our organization. If God tells you something, first step, go and, and seek the confirmation of wise, spiritually mature others before you start telling people that God told you to do something and then impose something on them that's going to create difficulty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So well said. And so now, speaking of decision-making, we have that whole other side of things to dive into. And while you were talking about decision-making, I was processing my experience with decision-making. Like I said, I've always had a hard time with it. And there came a time in my life where I really did feel paralyzed when it came to making big decisions. And I felt like I was playing chess. Like if I moved my pawn up one 
then potentially seven moves down the road, I wouldn't be able to move my knight there. And then God wouldn't be able to accomplish his plan for my life somehow. So it was like this paralyzing fear of making the wrong decision. And partially, I just really wanted God to tell me what to do. And I was wrestling with the fact that I believe that God can speak into our decisions and the fact that we have free will. Now, I came to freedom in that, but Kevin, I'd like you to speak a little bit more to people who are wrestling in that space. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know we're going a little bit over time, but I think it's worth it. And thanks, Susanna, mm-hmm. for doing that. Um Yeah. Can I just say, please be free, be liberated, be loosed from that bondage of slavery that will encumber you and cause defeat in your life. Be free from that. God has given you, God has given you insight. He's given you a mind. God has called you to two important things. He's called you to a trajectory that is fully focused upon God in love, turn all your attention toward God. And secondly, he's called you to a condition of surrender and submission to the holiness of God in your life. Mm -hmm. So when God looks at your life, God is not looking to see what decision you made and how he can counter that or how, how there can be something, you know, result of that. God looks at your life, at the trajectory of your life, is it toward God, and the condition of your life, is it submitted to God? And then God says, all right, I've given you a mind. With the condition of your heart surrendered to God, to the Spirit, the trajectory focused upon God, you make a decision here, and I will bless it. Mm-hmm. So God doesn't God doesn't play chess with us. God <laughs> says, you know, just... Just trust your instinct. Trust the character that is being shaped by the holiness of God. Trust your intuition. All of those things are saturated. For the person who's pursuing holiness, those things are saturated with God's holiness. And you can trust that that is going to inform your willful decision in a way that will be toward God and humble in the condition of godliness. So mm-hmm. be freed from thinking that somehow you make point A and then God's going to have to do this and yada, 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 and you're going to miss it. No. God is big enough. God is sovereign enough to bring blessing when he sees the condition of your life is made in, in, a, in a way that's submitted to God and in a trajectory that is toward the things of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that language of a trajectory toward God. That's what we yes. need to be focused on, not stressed out about the decision. And I know decision making is still challenging. I know it has a lot of implications. But I say to all my friends all the time when we're talking about this, God is not trying to trick you. If you are genuinely submitted to him and you're working toward moving in the trajectory of God's heart and you're making a big decision and he does not give you clarity. I mean, sometimes God does nudge us in a specific direction and God has wisdom as we submit to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does lead us in specific directions because he knows what's best. However, if you're feeling feeling like you don't know which way to go and you don't have a nudge. God's not trying to trick you. And I I think it's so 
beautiful when we can finally step into that freedom and say, I am going to do my best to make this decision with the information that I have, knowing that God is faithful to reveal what he needs to in time. And so now I look about, or I look at decision-making in a different metaphorical lens. I look at it like I'm in a big field and the field has boundaries, right? There are still boundaries to the will of God, the will of God for my life is not to go kill someone. It's not to live in sin, right? But within those boundaries, I have the freedom to build a house over here or do cartwheels over here or plant a garden. And decision-making has become this really fun thing that I do in a relationship with God, but not out of fear of messing things up. And the last thing I want to say about it is Um, You mentioned earlier, Kevin, and the whole conversation we're having is about holiness. And when you spend time with someone, you become like that person. You begin to think like them. You begin to act like them. And really, when we spend time with God, we begin to think like him. We begin to act like him. And the natural decisions that we make are going to more reflect his heart. And so I think part of this is just a maturing process for Christians in decision-making where, you know, when we're young as children, our parents might tell us, eat now, put on your clothes now, go to school now. But the older we become, the less our parents are telling us when and how to do things. And the more they're saying, you know how to put on your clothes, you know how to make meals, you know how to make decisions. So go for it and just be full of the character that I've installed in you as you do. Well, well, well put. Great word picture. Yes, very helpful. So we've gone a little bit over, but let's leave you with a couple of possible next steps or assignments. Yes. Um, in terms of healthy relationships, maybe reflect with your with yourself or with your small group. Identify the person or group of people uh, to whom you close yourself and consider how you might become more open to them. Mm-hmm. You know, who are the people that you close yourself off to and how can you become more permeable, more open to them? And then when it comes to decisions, how might you pause and consider the inner nudge, as Susanna just mentioned, the inner nudge of the Holy Spirit before significant decisions instead of asking God to bless them afterwards? So think about, you know, how you might pause, consider the nudge of the Spirit And that might help you begin to get deeper and deeper into these two descriptors of walking in the holy life. We'll be back with you next episode. We're going to talk about uh, integration and purpose. So thanks for joining us. God bless you. See you soon. Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be. Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.